We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of, of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this sort of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Let me pray. Lord, we, as we come to your word, we ask that you would speak uh, your hope into our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. Every once in a while, um, not that I'm terribly um, adept at this, but uh, especially when I go to clergy retreats, I get this, sometimes a sense from the Lord that um, it really is that I need to be on my best behavior. And, um, and that's because I, I accidentally, I, I think I come by this honestly, um, have asked questions that people don't always want to answer. And uh, one of these times happened, I was newly ordained, this is going back 20 years, and there I am with all these seasoned clergy, and um, just because I was so eager to learn, I said, um, do you mind if I, uh, I, you know, I had the archdeacon there and a bunch of other clergy, much, much older than I was, and I said, uh, how, how do you as clergy approach giving? You know, how do you handle it? You know, you, not, not so much how do you get the congregation to give, but how do you personally give? And every one of them said, oh, well, we've given our lives to the church, so we don't feel the need to contribute financially. I was like, huh. Well, if you do that, how would anyone ever follow your example, and how do your churches thrive? And that's where it all went south, you know. And I didn't mean to be, you know, um, to be, what's the word? Rude, but um, you know, I, I, it just kind of came up, and um, and so we're going to talk a little bit. We talked a little bit last week. We're going to talk a bit about the issue of money, um, and this is really for those who are, uh, you know, your members. If you're visiting today, just feel free to to observe. Um, um, but when we come to money in in the in the church as Christians, as followers of Jesus, there are really three ways to give. There's the first is the easiest. It's hardwired into everybody. It's giving according to need. That's why uh, you will often see a drunk offer another drunk a drink if they don't have it. I mean, you know, that, that is just something that is base for all of us, giving according to need. The second way to give is giving according to the tithe. And... Uh, uh, Chris spoke eloquently about this last week. If you haven't heard it, I'd listen, I would uh, invite you to listen to it. And in Dallas, it gets kind of complicated because there's so many nonprofits in Dallas. 
Um, and you know, they all want a piece of your giving, right? And so that's why it's really helpful to have a distinction between tithes and offerings. And so Chris did it so well last week. Um, and uh, you know, to give 10% to the church, and then on top of that, to give offerings to all of the great causes that, that are here. And then there's a third uh, type of giving that really I wanted to spend a bit of time um, talking about because it's, it really seeks to build the kingdom of God in a way that the other two don't. And um, when we heard of this, it really changed the way that really how we related to money and how we related to people. And it's uh, coined in the, uh, you know, I call it royal giving. And uh, not because, you know, I trained in, in, in England, but because um, our identity in Christ is that we are children of the King. And every once in a while, the Lord will ask us to invest in someone. Think about this with me for a moment. Uh, when Jesus sees us, he sees us without the hindrance of time. And so he sees us with the completed work of his grace and glory, the finished product, if you will. And when we meet together as, uh, in small groups, when we meet together in church, when someone comes up to us and gives us a word of encouragement or writes a card or sends a text, God is inspiring that person to act so that we are motivated by the love of God expressed in his community to, to take the next step of obedience and faith to becoming who he's calling us to be. And royal giving is partnering with that. It's partnering with him. And so let's just look for a few moments at this really challenging passage from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And let's just see what Paul has to say to the church in Corinth. Um, we see right off the bat a couple of surprises. If you look down with me, the first surprise is the tone of this chapter. Um, Paul is exhorting the Corinthians in tones of warm encouragement. The church excels at many things. They're really gifted. They have faith. They're gifted in speech. They're gifted in knowledge. Uh, they're earnest, and he, his heart is that they would also excel in generosity. The second surprise, as we heard Bill read this to us, is that there's no element of coercion or command here. In verses 1 to 6, Paul gives them the example of the Macedonians, and so that the Corinthians now have an expression to their love and generosity. Unlike the Macedonian church, the church in Corinth has significant resources. And so to encourage them, having given them an example of generosity and poverty, he now gives them an example of generosity and wealth. Generosity and wealth. My experience has been working with the urban poor is that it's easy for the poor to be sacrificial because that's how you survive. My experience of working with the very wealthy is that it appears to be easier for them to be generous than sacrificial. But the poor and the wealthy have one thing in common. They want to be treated normally. But because of their circumstances, they find it very difficult to have that kind of relationship. The poor are often 
uh, face prejudice because of, you know, you can usually smell a homeless person or what do we call them now, a person experiencing homelessness before you see them. I mean, I, I led a church uh, of homeless people for um, years and I found that um, a nice little bit of tea tree oil under, under my nose helped me relate to them normally because I needed help. Um, and with the, the, so they're prejudiced against. And those with lots of resources are afraid to let people in because they just don't want to face somebody else asking them for something. And yet both want to be treated normally. And the answer to that is in generosity. And so here we have um, the Corinthian church. They're wealthy, and to encourage them, he gives them an example of generosity and wealth. And we see here, he points them to Jesus and reminds them that Jesus' life did not begin when he was born in the last year of the reign of Herod the Great, but that he was rich to begin with. And that Jesus, in embracing poverty, did so so that we could become rich. So Paul has moved from teaching to meddling. And if you're feeling a little bit like that, you're in good company. Because he's writing to the Corinthian church who lack nothing. And he illustrates in verse 1, if you look down with me, that there's a direct link between generosity and the manifestation of God's grace in someone's life. The Macedonian church were undergoing a severe test of affliction, that they're, they're, but they're characterized as having an abundance of joy. Their extreme poverty and their abundant joy overflowed in a wealth of generosity in their part. Which is surprising, isn't it? Because in the world we live, we're taught and told that in case hardship comes, and when hardship comes, we need to store up our resources. But in the kingdom of God, there are times when the Holy Spirit leads us in our very hardships to move in a counterintuitive direction, which is to give. Not just to give, but to sow generously into an individual or into a community's life, not because of who they are now, but because we have a glimpse of where God is calling them to be. The Macedonians seem to say to the Corinthian church, how much help do you need? To that degree, give. I mean, that's a strong message. It's a strong message in Dallas where money has such a power. Where the besetting challenge, maybe not in East Dallas, maybe, you could tell me, um, is this idea of image management where so much effort is put in to making the outer appearance look perfect, where sadly the inner life is dying and decaying. I was at an event last night, um, a costume party where I did my best to dress as a disco ball. I wasn't thinking, but I had fun. And I found myself in the most surreal conversation where we were discussing, I didn't have much to contribute to the conversation, about where the best Botox could be found in Dallas. And uh, I, I did my best to smile and accentuate my facial features, but 
And there it was, this outward veneer of perfection. And then later on, you know, they began to share about how things had become so tough, but they didn't want to let anyone else know. So in verse three, we see that the Macedonians are giving according to their means and beyond their own means. Their radical generosity relied on their utter dependency on God for provision. In verse four, these words, they begged us earnestly. The Macedonians begged Paul earnestly to be able to contribute to the money that the Jerusalem church needed because of what they were facing. They asked for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints They asked Paul earnestly and humbly with sincere and intense conviction for the honor of contributing to the collection raised for the church in Jerusalem. And this is not what we expect. What's the key here? The key is in verse five where we learn that they first gave themselves to the Lord Jesus and then they gave themselves to the church. Now, I know that I'm speaking to a number of people who are in that odd in-between time where something has happened and you're praying with all that you can for God to come through and to effect a change. And, and I think this move in verse five is so key because we think that we want to give ourselves to him when all is well, but it's actually easier to, I find, connect with God when life is difficult. To give ourselves first to him and say, Lord, I need your help. All that I am is yours, lead me. And then they acted, the Macedonian church acted in radical generosity. The Macedonian church have been marked by Jesus, and despite their severe affliction, they have joy, and they gave according to their means and beyond their means. They were not simply churchgoers, they were followers of Jesus who'd been marked by him in a very tender and intimate way. So they behaved as if money had no value. They serve as a sign to us and to the church in Corinth that there's something of greater importance in our world than money. And that is the kingdom of God. Reflecting Jesus, though he was rich, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, did you feel that cynicism come into the room? The moment I said that there's something of greater value than money, actually I said that they behaved as if money had no value. I felt something rise up in me. And if I felt something rise up in me, some of you will have felt something rise up in you. What is that? Cynicism, for some of us, has become a kind of armor that we put on to protect us from being hurt again. But we don't see in the New Testament an invitation to become cynical we see an invitation that is very different. We see, we see an invitation to come and receive from Jesus. I don't know about you, but I want to know the tenderness of God. And I want 
him to move intimately in my life. And I know that money can get in the way. And so the Macedonians gave. They gave according to their means, and they gave abundantly out of what they didn't have because their trust in that most spiritual prayer was absolute. Help. Jesus, help me. What would it look like if we as a church were so marked by him that we behaved as if money had a lesser value and that there was something of greater value being developed in the city, in East Dallas, and that's the kingdom of Jesus. We were, it was 14 years ago, I'm gonna tell you a little story now and illustrate this, it may help. Um, it was 14 years ago, we'd been living with the reality of a diagnosis on my part that we would never have children, naturally. Um, one, <laughs> one doctor, I mean the bedside, I don't know how they get through med school with these bedside manners. Um, well, I guess it's not taught, right? Um, Chris, maybe you should teach a lesson in med school and proper etiquette. But um, one of them said, Homer Simpson would have a better chance of conceiving a child than you do. I was like, great, thanks. What do we do now? And uh, we didn't go back to that doctor, obviously. Um, and so we'd been living with the reality that our longings and our hopes um, were not gonna happen naturally. And you know, when the scriptures tell us that hope deferred makes the heart sick, and, I should, and that's a sermon for another time, but some of you are living that right now where your hope has been deferred and your heart is sick. And so fast forward, we went down the, started down the, the avenue of IVF, and it seemed like everyone around us could have children at the drop of a hat except for us. And we ended up going to a church um, in Northern California that was known for a healing ministry. And the greatest thing that happened there is that we heard this talk on how to overcome disappointment. How do you deal with the sickness that sets in when your, your hope has been deferred? And it was incredible. We came back and um, people in the church said, you look different, what's happened? And we said, well, we just, the Lord has, we have, our, we have a living hope back. And um, we, this is where, I was at this church, we heard this talk about royal giving, and we had saved up money for a second round of IVF. The first one had gone horribly wrong. And we had saved up all of our money, which wasn't much on a priest's salary, but it felt significant to us. And IVF is not cheap. Um, and we had all this money, and this money represented to us hope. It represented a longing fulfilled. It represented a new life. It represented you fill in the blanks. And we had this friend, Emma, who had done Alpha with, with us, and she'd been quiet the whole course until the night on evil, and she came up to me afterward and said, this is the first time someone's ever made sense about my experience. And I said, well, tell us about your experience. And she had had, uh, she'd grown up in Hong Kong and uh, had been a flight attendant and been having these waking nightmares for 12 years and she consulted mediums and tarot card readers to try to get a handle on it all, and it just kept getting worse. And so I said, oh, well, why don't you come around to our house on a Tuesday night, we'll pray with you and see, see what can happen. And it was incredible. She, um, 
it was unlike anything we'd ever experienced. But she came to faith. The nightmares stopped. Um, and um, just the most remarkable thing happened. And so we come back from this conference and we call Emma because as you do this kind of thing, you incur debt. And she needed a new beginning. She needed a living hope. She needed all of this stuff that we had saved this money for. And so we sat her down in our kitchen and it took me an hour to convince her to receive this money. Because more important than my needs being met is that the kingdom of God grow in the city. So we sowed into her that full amount. She was able to pay off her debts. She was able to start a new job. She was able to start a new life. And then we prayed after she left and said, Lord, what do we do now? And had this real sense we were to call the clinic and book a second round of IVF. So we did, but we had no money. And then the next day, the most incredible thing happened. A card came through the, the letterbox and someone had sent us a signed blank check saying, we know you're going through something, we'd like to pay half. Okay, just tell us the amount and we'll make sure it's in the account. The day after that, we received more money and money just kept arriving in the most bizarre way to the point where Rachel came home from teaching one day and there was a stack of cards on, my table, on our kitchen table and she said, have you opened the cards? I said, Rach, no, because they're full of money and I don't think we deserve it. I said, oh, come on, get over it. Just open them up, you know. <laughs> so we do, we go to the clinic, we pay the, pay the bill, and we go through that second round of IVF, and the most incredible thing happens. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Everything goes well to the last moment, and then it doesn't work. And that puzzled us for such a long time. Because I'm used to the other stories where I gave my car and God gave me a jet, you know? Or like, you know, it's much to go up to the right. But we kind of went a different path. And then I realized how a good father will go to every length to know, so that his children know that even if what they're about to do is gonna fail, he's all in with them. Now, you know, some of you will know that we have three boys. All of them were conceived naturally. And the Lord has done, and I don't understand it. And sometimes I look at them and wonder, why are you behaving this way? Don't you know? Like, you know, carpool is still difficult. And so the Lord did, did three miracles in our lives. But the greater miracle was what happened after money lost its power in our lives. And it keeps coming back. It still has a power. And we have to move counterintuitively to first give ourselves to Jesus and then to sow generously into people, not for where they are at the moment, but for where God is calling them to be. Some of you have been, you've all, I don't know who, but some of you have been incredibly generous. And it appears that what we have here at St. Bart's is needed. 
not just here, but in other parts of the U.S. We were asked if we could plant a church in Montana. I said, sure, I'm not going, but, you know, winter's long, and we could, theoretically, and da-da-da. Others have asked of other places if we'd be interested in exploring Forney. I mean, I don't even know where Forney is, but we can explore it. So people see that there's something here of the combination of the Spirit of God at work, the sacraments at work, and a high view of Scripture that is of worth. And so what I want to invite you to do is to pray and to do two things. To offer yourselves to Him like the Macedonians did. And the second thing is to ask if he is calling you to sow into an individual's life, not because of where they are, but where God is calling them to be, or even into this community, into St. Bart's. We're at a moment where we have every, every need to pray, where there's conflict in multiple parts of the globe, but we're also in a moment where conflict will rear its head, potentially, in this next election cycle. And Lord has called us to be his presence, to be his hands and his feet. And to do that, we need to give ourselves to him. And then we need to be attentive to how he's calling us. And attentive to the hold that money has on us. Because if the Lord can move tenderly in our hearts that not only will our lives be changed, but East Dallas itself will change. We show what we value by where our money goes. Jesus has paid it all. He has paid it all for racism to be dealt with in Dallas, for education reform to happen, for all that all can be forgiven, all can be redeemed. And we are praying that the Lord would lead us to play our small part in his big plan for this place we call home. Let's pray. Lord, as your church, we offer you ourselves afresh that we would give ourselves to you. And Lord, we ask that you would speak to us and lead us. We ask, Lord, that you would move powerfully and intimately in our lives that we would know afresh how powerful your grace and redemption is. And Lord, lead us and would you order our relationship with money so that we would see your kingdom come and your will be done, not only in our lives, but in East Dallas and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen.